Welcome to No Rules to Live By, where we weigh the rules we adopt and shed to live a fulfilled and balanced life. is a very exciting day because we have Issa here who's one of my most favorite humans in the entire world and is such a fascinating creature and we're gonna just dig into her and her knowledge and her journey and starting off with a little little energy a little moving and grooving never hurts um yeah but yeah, I'm really excited for today because I love you very much. You are one of my most favorite people in the world. And I I feel like one of the themes of this podcast is just sharing people's stories and learning about them. Um, you have a really, really um, deep history in all things fitness, very interesting perspectives on wellness. You have a degree in neuroscience from Yale. You are have worked at multiple, um, I want to call them health tech companies, but you can correct me on that. Um, <laughs> and so I'm really excited to dive into this conversation, but I want to start um, by just learning a little bit about your, your background and upbringing. Yeah, um, I love that. I've even found myself in kind of work conversations, like starting way back in the beginning. So I'll kind of give that spiel now. But um, I would start with my parents and obviously your industry goes way deeper than that, but I think they're a great kind of window into what's important to me today as an adult. Um, but my dad is a doctor and the type of doctor that like you wish all doctors were like the type of doctor to sit with a patient for two hours and hear their life story, the type of doctor that the hospital, you know, in some cases maybe isn't really thrilled about because they're not a profitable doctor, but they're a doctor that really, really cares about you. Um, and my mom is an international public health. So I grew up with this kind of like dinner table conversation of health, of wellness, of reproductive rights, of, um, you know, really like really, really meaty kind of big themes that I think really shaped, um, you know, what became lifelong passions in the life sciences. That's how I kind of ended up with my neuroscience major, even though it's not something I use, um, you know, in healthcare, which is what I do for work in some capacity as a marketer, um, and in my own passion for sports, athletics, wellness, all this. So I really like to start from the beginning <laughs> with them because I think it, it came from them. Um, and there also is a little bit of, I think, healthy tension in our family. And I'm actually like the only person in any sort of business, really. And I come from even, you know, beyond just my nuclear family, I come from an extended family of folks who are like really overtly doing something that's very tangibly great for other people and like great for the world. And I think that's been, um, you know, a really driving force for me in my career, figuring out what is my version of doing that and like how I bring this kind of like shared family passion to life in my career and to life more importantly in like my everyday existence and like how you show up, how you give back. Um, and all that. So long rambling way to say parents are everything. I think in a lot of ways I am my mother. In a lot of ways I am my father. They're very, very different. Um, but I see myself almost reflected like 50-50 in both of them. And it's been like a really fun journey through my 20s um, and almost 30s now, which is crazy um, to see 
see you like spike, you know, in certain ways, um, along with your parents. I'm sure both of you really relate to that too. Absolutely. Um, were there any specific moments in your childhood that really stick out to you as moments that shaped you? Mm, that's a great question. A couple of big ones. And I'll give you a little bit of context on kind of like how I was raised when outside of my household. Um, but I was raised primarily in Hawaii, um, which is, I'd argue, the most unique state that is fundamentally different than kind of the continental U.S. culturally. Um, and then I also spent three years as a kid um, in Madagascar going to a local school there. Um, you know, my mom had a project there, and for her it was really important that my sister and I, my younger sister Claire and I, were raised having exposure to a world outside of one where we were incredibly blessed and privileged. Um, and so I think those two experiences, besides the, like, fun catchphrase of, like, being raised exclusively on islands, which is very cool, but, like, the deeper kind of... Um, the deeper kind of take on that is I was raised in places where I was not the majority. And that I think is very unique for a white person, especially in the US to say that. And I think that has like really colored my perception on inclusion and exclusion. I'd say inclusion is like one of my top three core values as a human being. Um, but yeah, just navigating those experiences from a very young age being a little bit different, I think has like really fundamentally shaped how I approach my relationships today, um, how I approach even work, the way I kind of interact, interact with the world now in a place where I'm like very much kind of like the majority participant in my community in San Francisco. Yeah, what was that like going to school in Madagascar? It's funny, we were, I mean, we were pretty little at the time. I remember almost everything, but my sister was, I think, just too young. So we've been back a couple years ago, we went back as a family, which was like really amazing. Um, and Claire was like, I don't know any of this. <laughs> um, but but I remember a lot of it. Um, and I think the biggest things I remember were actually like my relationships. I had some like really amazing childhood friendships. Um, we had a really, really special nanny who we actually got to go back and see last time we visited, who has her own kids now. I think she was very young when she was taking care of us. Um, and I think it's amazing how people really stick with you, even from such a young age. Like, I think I had a first boyfriend ever named George, like so some really old friends, Lilla, um, with, you know, amazing backgrounds. And I think one of the cool things about that experience is it was a true mix of people from all backgrounds, local people, people from France, people from the U.S., we're from Hawaii, which is like U.S., but special, different. <laughs> Um, and so I got to interact with tons of different people who are now living literally all over the world. And it's actually a great reminder to stay in better touch with some of those folks. But, but yeah, that, that experience and those people were really special because everyone was coming from like their own really unique perspective. And then I think aside from the people, just the landscapes, the animals, the, like all of the flora and fauna, the baobabs, the, baobabs, the lemurs, we got to see I lemurs, I think it was like my eighth birthday. Um, they're very, very rare, very weird looking. Um, and just ha like being able to say I did those things at such a young age is like completely crazy. I did not, I thought that was just like a normal thing. <laughs> and now I, you know, get to look back and be like, I hope that I get to give my children experiences like that one day. So cool. Yeah, very special. I feel like you're also really good at creating those experiences for yourself. You travel all over the place to places that a lot of that some people don't take the time to travel. Um, 
I'm curious the influence that your upbringing has on that on that perspective or if there was something like a something else that spurred your love for travel yeah I think it's definitely just passed on generationally especially from my mother who never actually intended to live in the U.S. I think Hawaii was about as in the U.S. as she was willing to live in. But she, when she was my age, you know, she was living in Tunisia. She was, you know, all over the place doing these, like, incredible kind of overseas um, health projects. And I actually had my first birthday in Nepal. That's a good fun fact, too. Um, So she kind of, like, took me along for the ride, and my sister, too, since we were very, very little. And so I think I've been very comfortable traveling. Um, My fiancé, Nick, would argue sometimes too comfortable. I'm not always worried about safety i feel very comfortable navigating and navigating myself through you know any street or any kind of cultural situation um so that's something i'm trying to be a little bit better at these days um but i think it definitely comes from just being habituated to it and feeling like it's a normal part of life to be spending time in different places whether they're you know big cultural hubs like france for example to places like madagascar that are obviously incredibly unique incredibly remote and like very different to kind of operate within um but I feel really lucky honestly I never would have expected at this age to be in my late 20s to have been able to travel as much as I have and honestly it's because of remote work and I feel so grateful for that um to been able to do so much domestic travel um you know Brie and I went to Portugal last year last year crazy um I always want to say earlier this year Um, Even, like, domestic travels, like going to Burning Man, um, that, I would say, was more uh, out of this world than probably any (laughs) other trip I've been on in the last couple years. Um, You know, Turkey, Japan, tons of incredible trips just in the last couple years that I just feel so grateful for because not that long ago, I had 10 days of PTO and I was working in an office five days a week. And, like, I was lucky if I got to go home for the holidays. And so it's just a totally different existence and I feel much more kind of like aligned with my lifestyle now that I have all this freedom. Yeah. It's such a transformation. It's really wild. Yeah, I love how you two have become like adventurous buddies. (laughs) It was Portugal or Burning Man, or I don't know what you guys are planning next, but it's such a special friendship to enjoy exploring the world together and, and create such wonderful memories. Yeah, 100%. Um, I have to give Bree a little bit of a special shout out here because I actually just started working with a life coach, another one of our friends, um, mm-hmm. life coaches, and we've had a couple sessions and she's really, really wonderful and has kind of like offered me some perspectives that I hadn't considered, which I shouldn't be surprised by because that's her job, but I prefer to kind of operate in the world as if I have all the answers and I regularly <laughs> don't. So, um, but we actually ended up talking about Brie a little bit in our most recent session because she asked me what kind of made me feel most free and I think I ended up rambling on about a bunch of stuff and then um saying like specifically you Brie are someone who like inspires me to be my most free and my like least self-conscious self um not just in like very crazy environments like Burning Man but in everyday life whether it's like you know, taking up a ton of space to, you know, dance exactly the way that you want to dance at a club or whatever it is. Um, I just, I feel like that's something that I really admire about you. And I was thinking about that coming into this podcast, just like, how do I, um, 
how do I find those moments of freedom and I look around me to the people that inspire me to do that um, more often because I think one place I do do that is travel but you can't travel every day you got to like find it in your day-to-day life too so also in the spirit of our dance party free podcast (laughs) yes very appropriate way to ground into our podcast and that's so sweet that means a lot to hear from you Um, and it brought me back to um, I had this vision of us one night in Portugal the night that we decided we were gonna go out to a club and it was so packed with all these Portuguese people and we like find this little corner that no one was dancing in and like are like flailing about so going back to I want you to talk a little bit about and of course I know you so well that I'm like how do I get all the things that I know that I want to suck out of Isa into this conversation. Um, But yeah, I want to talk about your fitness journey a little bit, because I think you have a very interesting perspective coming both from your parents and then also your transition to being a um, collegiate athlete. Yeah. Um, As you know, (laughs) very long and kind of complex um story but I think again I'll start from the beginning which is I like and I think a different different lens on my father is he's a very talented athlete much more talented than I am but he's convinced otherwise he still thinks I could be a great track athlete which was absolutely never in the cards for me (laughs) um but he you know played every sport played you know D3 football was the quarterback played basketball ran track basically like ran the whole gambit was a really really talented kind of all-around athlete and so I think growing up I you know just played all the sports and I was never particularly good at any of them um I'll say especially sports where you have like devices like rackets devices is the wrong word but like rackets um bats stuff like that really were challenging for me I did not like that one bit (laughs) but I did kind of find through actually another family connection that I'll talk about a little bit sailing um when I was probably seven or eight um I had a choice of summer camps to go to um and there was like the nature camp and there was not like sleepwear or anything just kind of something for you to get you out of the house uh, while your parents are working um and one of the options was sailing which I was really really I didn't realize how unique that was at the time because most sailing programs are incredibly expensive and in Hawaii it was actually like a really um a like well-funded and like fairly well subsidized program that allowed people who just wanted to learn and like didn't really have any kind of like great history of doing this didn't own a boat didn't kind of have any of that like upfront investment um you know allowed folks like me to like get into it which was um I think really special and something I I took for granted at the time but definitely don't now um but to go on like a brief tangent the reason that sailing was even an option because it's not something that either of my parents do um is that i actually have a family history of sailing so the italian side of my family my mom's side of the family um were sailors there was actually like a um very scary accident where some family members died and after that sailing was kind of not um something that our family did um anymore my grandpa was in the navy so i think he had he carried it through a little bit in that tradition um but my mom really had this vision of kind of bringing back this like sailboat racing family tradition um and i actually remember in madagascar once she tried to learn 
very ill-fated. Um, it was extremely windy and there were not good people to help her. <laughs> um, but so I think she gave up on her desire to learn, but she kind of wanted to kind of give that as an option to us. And so in a lot of ways, kind of still continuing a very old family tradition that kind of like skipped a couple of generations, which is really cool. Um, but, you know, I raced the, the sailing scene in Hawaii. It's, I mean, it's beautiful, great conditions. It's windy all the time. Um, it's not a competitive sailing scene at all. And so I think when I ended up going to college on the East Coast, I had about 100 layers of culture shock between going from Hawaii to Connecticut. Totally different. Um, you know, I have a line I haven't used in a couple of years about, you know, realizing that people actually wore a kind of berries and salmon colored shorts and I was like whoa this is <laughs> this is a new culture for me for sure um but especially the sailing team because you know east coast sailors in particular are really folks who often come from like very kind of money backgrounds they've been sailing non-stop their grandparents sail they own boats all of that um so I think that was a really really new environment to navigate and then on top of that um I realized that I had a lot to learn um and I think that was my experience on that team was really amazing in so many ways. And in other ways, it was really challenging because I had to navigate wanting to be great at something, um, but also knowing that like most other people were so much better than me and had so many years on me and I had so much to learn from too. Um, and so it was a really interesting kind of like sports team dynamic. Um, and like one thing that came out of that, that I think was a little bit of me and a little bit of college and a little bit of that specific sports team is I started to kind of like pay attention to my body and my weight in a way that I had just never noticed before. Like, I think I always knew I was kind of like a normal size or on the, you know, especially in high school, you're kind of like growing up more than out and was always kind of thin, but, um, you know, in sailing weight matters a lot. Um, especially in college sailing where they have adults, you know, college kids sailing boats that are really built for teenagers. Um, and a lot of that onus often ends up getting put kind of on the, um, on the, the backs of the women on the team. So it is a co-ed sport where often women sail with men. Um, and, you know, we had some like really complicated relationships with food and with competitiveness on women on the team. Um, you know, I think I went through some other kind of like really challenging issues with my body, including getting an H. pylori infection from drinking tap water at like a kind of weird Airbnb in Barcelona one summer um, that really kind of knocked me out for probably a year. Like it really wasn't comfortable to eat. And then at the same time, went through a breakup, was dealing with all this like competitive kind of sports environment, like was being like literally like lined up to get weighed, you know, and like had a, had a lot of like food issues and exercise issues. I think in my last two years of college that I feel really sad about because I think they like colored sometimes that like could have been really amazing in the way that like some of my earlier college years were. I think one bright spot for all of that though is like while I was paying attention to my body and food and exercise so much more than ever, I also started to like in, in like a way that wasn't productive. I also started to like learn a lot. We had a really amazing trainer in that time um, for the sailing team who I had never lifted before, did not know that was a thing, did not know women did it, knew nothing about that. Um, and we had, you know, lift twice a week and that became something that I like took pretty seriously and started to get into more. And, you know, when I decided, I think towards the end of college, like I was just not willing to keep torturing myself. Um, that was kind of what I took on as my next step to 
figure out how to get like exercise for the sake of getting stronger instead of getting smaller. And that's kind of like when I met you, Bree. I'd been like lifting that way for a little bit. I graduated from college and um, was really enjoying it. I think in retrospect, it was still not that healthy, but I was a lot healthier than I was before. Um, and then I definitely did not make it any healthier by deciding to compete in a bodybuilding competition. That's for sure. Um, though I will say I have no regrets about that. I think it was so fun. It was so special to be able to do that together with you, Brie. Um, I think I learned a lot about grit. I learned a lot about what I'm capable of. Would I rather have learned those lessons with something that was less damaging to my body and my health? Probably. Um, I feel lucky to not have any kind of like long-term problems or anything like that, but it's not wholly uncommon for folks in that space, um, who are really competing at a high level, kind of not, not in the way that, um, I had been. Um, and then honestly, like my biggest saving grace through all of this was COVID. I hate, like, sounds crazy to say that in the context of health, but being forced out of the gym, um, after I'd been going six days a week for how many years just made me like, I, I think I, my health goals went from all sorts of crazy complex stuff to like, literally just like try to move most days. Like I ended up home in Hawaii with my parents for a couple months. We thought it was going to be a couple weeks. It was not a couple weeks, as you guys know. Um, and it, you couldn't even go to the beach, which was crazy. And so I would just go walk in my neighborhood. I would, like, do a 15-minute at-home workout and be like, meh. Like, <laughs> you know, that's enough for today. Um, and I also was not cooking my own food as much, right? I'm, like, with my parents. My mom's cooking a lot for everyone. Um, and I think having all of that happening at the same time was very jarring, very hard. Um but I also um, realized that I think the way that I was controlling my food and my exercise was still not healthy, even though I'd like to convince myself that I had. And so I feel like that was the beginning of kind of like the journey that I'm in the middle of right now um, and figuring out like what does, what does exercise and nutrition look like when you are doing it purely for wellness, for strength, for health, um, and not for, not for aesthetics. Um, and I don't think that ever, like, fully goes away. Like, I actually find myself, like, kind of avoiding the gym sometimes because it, like, puts me in the headspace that I was in when I went to the gym so much where I, like, you, like, look at yourself in the mirror differently. And I'm like, oh, we're not ready for that one yet. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's been a really, like, amazing journey with a lot more yoga, a lot more bodies, a lot more walking. I'm learning tennis right now, which I'm truly awful at. I told you I'm not good at racket sports. Um but I told my fiance Nick, if he bought me a tennis skirt, I would learn to play tennis with him. He loves it. <laughs> um, and he went up to me and bought me a tennis dress, which is very cute. Um, so now I'm learning tennis. <laughs> and that's what really matters. You look cute doing exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> I know. Um, it's all about the yeah. outfit. So yeah, exactly. So it's a good strategy. Um, but yeah, I'm really, I know I've been really influenced by some, some books and um, on the nutrition front, some books and literature and other stuff that like you've sent me. Um, Brie and definitely have felt a big transition in my body and energy levels and happiness being on like a little bit of a kind of a obviously lots of whole foods lots of veggies um you know a moderate amount of protein and a little bit less carbs than I was I think realistically needing especially when I was like training as much as I was when you're training like you actually do kind of need a different <laughs> you know a different nutritional profile than when you're you know just a normal person playing some tennis so yeah. um, it's been it's been a fun journey to kind of figure out like what works for me, which is very different than like what makes my body look the best. 
Well, I I want to say two things. One is that I definitely noticed that shift in you where movement kind of became play again. And, it, and I think that that really trickled into a lot of other areas in your life. And I've just loved to see your evolution. And it's also been really inspiring for me because one of the things that that you also bring for, to me is a, the you are a very good at like community building and structure and I've learned so much from you about like everything from maintaining friendships to you know I plan I did this whole workshop I talked about plan for joy and I learned feel like I learned how to plan for joy from Isa because you're so good <laughs> at planning um, and I just I think when we graduated college, we were both in this place where we were feeling a little bit out of control. And so latching onto bodybuilding, like, and being like, we just graduated from college. Let's net not drink ever and not go out. <laughs> um, one way to cope. <laughs> was a way, was, but we learned so much and it's been really, really beautiful to see your journey and how it's also shaped mine um, of like kind of reclaiming this, this playfulness and joy of movement. Um, and then, Two, I remember like speaking about your, you know, kind of, I don't know, your very different upbringing from mine. I remember moving in with you after college and being exposed to foods I had never tried. I'd like never, I'd never eaten lentils before. I was like, what are these? <laughs> so good. <laughs> um, yeah. What are some, what are your, some of your like go-to meals these days? Oh my gosh, you're gonna laugh because I like eat all the same stuff. <laughs> I have not learned how to cook any better, so I need to learn from both of you guys. Um, but honestly, I still eat lentils a ton. I feel like that's the best. Like, your head's down, you're working, you just want to. I don't have a microwave. Pop something in the microwave, or like just heat something up quickly on the stove. Like a good lentil soup. So throw some Greek yogurt in it for some extra protein. Like that's such a good. That's like comfort meal for me, um, probably because lentils were like the only thing my dad really knew how to cook growing up, and my mom would leave so much on these bigger national trips, and so we'd eat a lot of lentils. Also, a lot of tofu, which I've never come to like really love. I don't mind it, but <laughs> um, but yeah, I eat a lot of that. I eat a lot of eggs. I know Bree can't have those, which is sad. <laughs> um, eat a lot. Like I love raspberries. I'm trying to think what's in my fridge. Um, on like an arugula and kale kick for my like leafy greens. Um, I'd say I'm a big, I'd prefer salads over like roasted veggies, mostly like out of laziness. Easy to put it together and like nice vessel for like, if you have like a nice goat cheese or something fun. So um, yeah, there's, there's no real structure. Nick makes turkey burgers a lot, which are significantly less healthy than most of the things I cook, but they're really, really good. And at least he's making them themselves. So we know, you know, you know exactly what's in it. Yeah, we definitely were not lentil. We, I don't think we've ever really had lentils for dinner ever. But <laughs> I'm definitely going to try them with Greek yogurt. That's a hack. That That's sounds really good. good. Yeah, like he's made it for me. It's good. Yeah. Okay. I'm also a very big egg person. I, I could eat eggs for like oh. every meal. So good. Avocados. Avocado toast with egg on it for lunch yesterday. Just because I was mm -hmm. feeling a little breakfasty um and it was so good simple stuff is the best my new thing i've been trying to get brianna to try it because um for those of you listening brianna's has developed an egg allergy um but i do avocado toast 
and then I put a layer of cottage cheese. Ooh. So it's like the creaminess of the avocado, then more creaminess and like tang <laughs> of the cottage cheese, and then some everything bagel seasoning. That sounds I amazing. I love those things separately. I just, I haven't been convinced to try it yet, but I promise I'll try it. Yeah. <laughs> Let me know. I love cottage cheese. I know it's kind me of too. hit or miss, but I do think the brand matters a lot. Like at least a couple of years ago, I was traumatized by the Trader Joe's cottage cheese. Um, mm. and needed to try something different. So hopefully they fix that by now. <laughs> yeah, there is one yeah. superior brand of all the others. Yeah, yeah good, good culture is the best. Mm. And um, I have like a lactose sensitivity. So, the, and they have a lactose-free version, which is like groundbreaking. Um, but yeah, it's definitely like the creamiest. I will say yeah. when we were in also in Portugal, they we had stayed at a hotel and they handmade cottage, they like homemade cottage cheese, and it was wow. like, so good. So I want to learn. So I would love good. to learn how to homemade cottage cheese, and with a little honey on top. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Um. So I have an important question, and that is, did you buy your wedding dress today? Oh my gosh. Um. No, <laughs> I haven't. But I am. They're like running a promo on it. Our like little lady texted me. Um, so we'll see. I think I might do it though. I feel like I really had a moment and I haven't had a moment with any other dress. I won't describe it just in case Nick's listening. So tell, tell <laughs> us, tell us more about Nick. Tell us how you met and the evolution of your love story. Oh, I love that question. Um, I mean, I feel like we've been together forever, but we were like kids when we met. I think I met Nick right after he turned 18. He's two years younger than me um, and is a really, really talented sailor. He joined the sailing team. Um, and I was kind of, you know, I described a little bit of this earlier, but in a pretty dark place with myself, with how I was interacting with, um, you know, friends and men and the whole shebang just kind of going through my, you know, college girl trauma that I feel like a lot of folks go through. <laughs> Um, and honestly, God bless Nick for being so persistent. I feel like he knew from day one that I was someone that he wanted to be close with. And he knew that I wasn't ready for, you know, that kind of relationship. Um, but we became really close friends and he became a really someone, a rare person at that time who I felt like really understood me and, you know, had my best interests at heart. Um, didn't take him that long. It was like, I think our like second semester of knowing each other that we ended up kind of formally getting together. My like personal favorite next story is the first time he ever kissed me. I'm actually not sure that he remembers this because we were both really quite drunk at a sailing <laughs> formal <laughs> and he, they like pick a freshman to host this formal and there's this great photo of him. I'll like find it and find it for you guys. Him standing on a table after like giving this speech with his like arms like way out like a bird um you know trying to like get everyone to listen to whatever he's saying and then I just remember him like jumping off that table and we had mind you different dates because this is a like blind date situation jump off this table and just like grab my face and kiss me and I think he was like the fourth person that I'd kissed that night but like I would just <laughs> always remember that one um where I was like wow like bold like who would have known you know um yeah and then we got together not that long after and um i think he was a really really big part of my healing process and my relationship with myself and my relationship with food and my relationship with exercise he's always been kind of like my number one um 
my number one advocate, even when like I couldn't, you know, advocate for myself in those situations. Um, and, you know, even went so far as like encouraging me to take a job that I knew I really wanted to take, but would take me really far away from him in San Francisco. And that's how we're all here. <laughs> or at least how I know Brie, I would have, you know, had some had some offers and other stuff in New York that just wasn't, you know, really exciting to me and then had this kind of perfect marketing opportunity for a neuroscience company. And he was like, you just like got to do that. Your heart's in it. Like, we'll figure it out. Um, and I will like always really respect the way that he like kind of challenged me to like do the scary thing and do the thing that would be harder on both of us. Um, and it was hard. It was hard, especially being in totally different life stages. I mean, I was out here being kind of chaotic between bodybuilding and then also having some fun and making all new friends and, um, you know, just, just figuring out how to be an adult. And Nick was still in college and also kind of redefining his relationship with, um, college and the team and, um, you know, writing his very meaty thesis and all of that. And so there were times where we were kind of like on again, off again, and, you know, figuring out what the right thing was. Um, but ultimately he moved out here and moved in and here we are. We got engaged in November. <laughs> Yay. Congratulations. We love a man who knows what he wants and is supportive yes. no matter what. 100%. Um, yeah, I will say we are very, very different. Um, I actually need to look up more about cancers and Capricorns. I'm a Capricorn. He's a cancer. But well, they're um, the opposite signs. Exactly six months. That's exactly what I was going to say, is we are so different, but I think we really complement each other. Like, even in how we approach problem solving or, um, you know, especially in work, like Nick is so visionary, um, but can sometimes struggle with the follow through. I am like dialed in, like I get shit done, but like I can sometimes lose the big picture, um, without, you know, support and, and conversation from somebody like Nick. So I think we have a really great tradition of going on a walk around the top of our neighborhood in Potrero Hill um, around sunset and just like brain dumping, like what the heck is going on. And I feel like those conversations are some of the most productive ones that either of us have all day often, um, because we get kind of like that opposite perspective, um, from kind of like what, what is, what is the easy conclusion for either of us? That's really beautiful. Yeah. Although so. I don't, I don't know if it's a Capricorn cancer thing, cause I'm a Capricorn and I, I don't have that. <laughs> I don't have that trait, but it's a beautiful you, you and Nick thing. I love it. Yeah. Enneagram 8, and I can't remember what we decided Nick was. I think we decided he was a 7. Mm. The enthusiast. You got engaged in Japan? Yes, we did. It was very special and beautiful. So what city were you guys in when you got engaged? Like, Were you surprised? How, how did it all go down? <laughs> it's funny. Our parents have been very confused about all of this because Nick and I are not a traditional couple in most ways definitely not traditional gender roles and yeah most ways um and so we've actually kind of been in the state engagement process for quite a while um so looked at zones together picked a setting together um and then kind of like ball, ball was in Nick's court after that but our parents were I remember my mom at one point was like so are you engaged and I was like no he hasn't proposed yet and she's like but you know it's happening <laughs> and you picked the ring <laughs> and I'm like yeah but we're not engaged yet and it was a very funny like very hilarious back and forth that we had um but yeah it's confusing both of our parents um but 
yeah, I will say it was very important to Nick that I was surprised, like, on the day, which is uh, hard. I'm not very easily surprised. <laughs> but I was surprised. Um, I was very surprised that day and that moment. I kind of thought it was going to happen in Japan or when we were in Hawaii with my family afterwards because I think he knew I would have, like, really loved to, like, have my sister there and have my parents there and kind of get to, like get to celebrate with all of them which we don't get to spend as much time with them um as i'd like um but i was really surprised that day and it was in like the most beautiful garden not a soul was there um my sister ended up actually kind of giving it away because she is she was like giggling in the corner and i'm like claire <laughs> <laughs> like nick nick is keeping his shit together you however are not <laughs> um in the most like spot on way um but yeah, it was just like a really beautiful moment. Just the two of us. My sister took some photos, giggling in the corner. Um, <laughs> and we like caught up with my parents kind of a little bit later in that same garden. And, um, you know, just like had a day to celebrate. Had a really amazing um, traditional meal after that. It was like really, really cool. Um, tried some vegetables that I have no idea what they were, but they were delicious. Um, yeah. So it was a really special day. I want to ask about your take on free will. This is, oh, and I, I, I take this left turn and I ask about it because this is one of my most favorite rants that Issa's ever been on and I need to memorialize it. Um, so I'll give you guys all the backstory. <laughs> the backstory on this is my dad is a hardcore existentialist, hardcore believer in free will. And we'll argue, like, to the death about it. And we have a close family friend um, who is a scientist, um, scientist by trade, astronomer, um, who absolutely believes that free will is, like, biologically and scientifically impossible. And I have heard the same conversation duked out at the dining room table every time we're home <laughs> for years and years and years. Um, and so... I, uh, at some point, I actually ended up, you know, I can't remember what the class was, but this was in college. Um, and I ended up writing, a, you know, 20-page paper. It was a neuroscience class. Papers are very unusual in classes like that, especially papers of this length. Um, but ended up writing a paper on the biology of free will and essentially how it's impossible. And I will say, it did kind of break my dad's heart, but I am Team Rob. I do not think, <laughs> I do not think free will is possible in the way that, like, we conceive of it like in our internal world um but i don't think that means that life has no meaning i don't think that means that your like sense of choice isn't important like i think that's the that's the argument kind of on the other side that like i really resonate with and that my dad often speaks to is like if none of it matters if all of it is predetermined then like why show up every day like why bother and i don't think that's the point i just think like scientifically we can explain every single thing that happens in our brains. Even if we don't have the tools to do it today, we'll have the tools to do it in a decade or in two decades or whatever it is. Um, and yeah, that doesn't take away the meaning of life. It just means like it's explainable. Um, and that well, to me is somebody who's kind of a scientist at heart. <laughs> oh gosh. You know, I'd have to like dig up my whole paper for you, Brie. Well, I guess I'm curious if it's, if it's like, the fact that it's kind of like our brains kind of operate like computers and you can kind of, it's predictable. Yes, is, is that exactly. kind of the way that it works? 
Yeah. Yeah. Our bio our biology is predictable. Especially our brains are predictable. Which is like really interesting. And I think the the important thing to know about that is it's not like predictable in a vacuum. It's like predictable in the context of your social environment. It's predictable in the context of your childhood. It's predictable in the context of, you know, your friendships, your relationship, your whoever it is. It's like but if you take into account all the data points that are available, it is predictable, right? Like, I really just don't believe that there's, like, I'm, like, trying to think about what the, like, philosophy term for this is. But, like, um, I'm going to totally butcher this. Um, but, like, a, like, you know, person, like, sitting up in your head, like, pulling the, you know, pulling the puppet strings that, like, you're, like, in charge of. Like, I don't think that that's true, but I also, like, feel, it feels really wrong to, like, take away people's authority and decision-making either. And so I actually think they, like, have to coexist, but scientifically, I don't think so. <laughs> so we, we need, we need the illusion that we have control, even though we don't. Exactly. I mean, so- I, I think so. Um, I've heard Benny an argument. <laughs> I feel like there are many an interesting religious argument about this as well um but yeah i think people need a lot of things and those things can come in different in, in different packages i guess but i think ultimately like you need a reason to believe that you matter and that your decisions matter and if that reason is the concept of free will if that reason is a higher power if that reason is whatever it is like i think humans have historically created that for themselves like I'm actually not sure. I can't really think of any culture that doesn't have some sort of, um, you know, reason to live, reason to wake up, reason to believe something bigger than you um, or bigger than kind of just like what's happening right now. Um, And so I think we will always continue to create that. So what are some decisions and choices that you've made that have been that obviously you have the perception that you've made, but you had no control over <laughs> um, <laughs> that have shaped you or have been like really big t- turning points in your life. Yeah. Um, honestly, the biggest one that I've reflected on a lot in kind of recent history is my last full-time job, um, which I, I guess not that recently, but six or seven months ago, ended up kind of t- taking a step away from and starting my own consulting business, which has been really valuable. But I think that job was really transformational for me, both career-wise in some very tactical ways, but also in terms of my own personal growth. I think it was the first place that I felt 100% confident in myself. Not 99, not, you know, 90%, but 100% confident. Not that I would always have the answer, not that I would always produce the desired outcome, but that, like, I could get most of the way there and that I could, I had the ability to like reason my way through, um, you know, whatever problem was in front of me. And I think, um, a lot of that was just like a huge testament to some really amazing mentors and leaders that I had to like an absolutely top notch team that I had the joy of hiring. And I'm still really close to, I've actually been catching up with a lot of those folks, um, in the last couple of weeks. Cause I like, I miss them. <laughs> I was like, it's been six months, but I still really miss them. Um, but that was just a, a kind of really special opportunity for me to go from thinking I could be a really great leader to in what felt like overnight becoming 
anew and I still have a lot to learn, but like, I think I was a really great leader in that role. Um, and that was really cool to be like, I kind of leave and then be like, Oh, like I did it. You know, I think some of that even was like getting into a new grant. It sounds kind of weird, but we had a leadership coach we worked with. Um, and I was kind of, I'd gotten into it beforehand, um, as well, but I would have typed myself in a very different way than I ended up kind of coming back on like a more scientific test. And I feel like coming back as an Enneagram eight, so dominantly, I think it was like a hundred percent or 99% or something crazy, which is like the challenger, the controller, um, really kind of shook me because it made me like look back even as early as like early childhood, look back on times when I had such strong, like reactive, like such strong reactiveness when people, even like my parents would try to like kind of impose their will on me or try to like kind of control what I was doing. Um, and it was just a really, really interesting, like aha moment of like, Oh, I am like really triggered when people, anyone tries to control me or when I don't have control of my own destiny in like whatever the situation is. Um, and I feel like that insight has helped me a lot as like, I've kind of been on my personal growth um trajectory and now like working on this a lot more intentionally with the life coach that I mentioned also also professionally too though I feel like that was that was more of a side effect to be honest wow I love that but so the Enneagram resulted in you having a shifted perspective in your career and taking on this new so you work as a what did you always like a fractional CMO is that kind of or right now um, yes yeah, like working in so basically leaving and becoming a consultant is that kind of the trajectory i think that like i think doing that work made me realize made me gave me some like very clear-cut insights about myself that helped me understand um some of my history and also show up in a way that I understood and in a way that I wanted to at work and my relationship, all of that obviously still a work in progress. And I do also think doing that work and having that insight in my, into myself ultimately helped me to make the like really hard decision to step back from something that I like fundamentally really loved and that I felt had given me so much because this experience was like so transformational for me. Um, because I knew that I was no longer able to have the type of impact that I wanted to um in that role and that kind of like helped me take a really big leap and trusting myself and like going out on my own which I never thought I could do at this age like never once and it just kind of like happened and I was just like okay I was like you know sometimes like the universe speaks and you're like yep like this is what we're doing it's not what I planned but um um, and I think having the strength to do something that is scary and unknown, um, I don't think I would have had before kind of going through this experience in that job. Wow. That's amazing. Alicia, do you know your Enneagram? Um, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but I've done it before. It definitely, definitely, is there one called like the scout? Maybe, hmm. maybe that's, I, I think I might have taken a different type. Um, but anyways, um, super insightful. I love those kinds of, pers I love those kinds of, um, tests and having that self-awareness that like, gives you insight into so much. And I found in the past too, when I've done those at leadership, um, 
offsites or, or whatever. It also really helps me when I learn other people's. Cause like I know I'm a very intuitive person and like I love, I'm like the big idea person, like big picture, uh, like probably more like you, I think you're describing your dad. Um, but um I like learned through getting to know like coworkers enneagrams if they're more of like a knowledge person or a data person then I I like realize where we disconnect where I'm just like let's just like dream it up like let's draw it on the board and they're like no we you know we need facts and figures or, or whatever so <laughs> uh, I'm like I, I don't want to see the numbers I just want to just how does it make me feel and what's the vibe um, I love it <laughs> <laughs> Um, but that's so cool, Isabel. I mean, the fact that you took that leap of faith, um, is it's, it must've been so empowering. How did the universe kind of come and present this to you? Was there like a consulting opportunity that popped up and you went for it or, um, yeah. How did you get started? Yeah. Um, a mentor of mine who was also a close friend, um, had been doing some similar work and was like, we could really use you. And I was, I already knew I had to leave that job. I was like holding on to something that was no longer there for me. Um, and I had a full-time offer at that point that I just knew, like speaking of, you know, intuition, just like knew I couldn't take. Um, I was like, there's nothing factually wrong with this. Like, this is a great opportunity, but I just know that I'm not ready to like give myself to a job in the way that like, I had and get that much out of a job in the way that I just had. Like I knew I needed to like take, take a different approach to work for a little bit. Um, and so to like have the strength to leave, to say no to like a very, very good full-time offer and to say yes to working with a mentor that I would ever work with, which is like amazing. And I'm so lucky that that kind of like fell in my lap. Um, that was just like all of those things kind of happened around the same time. And I was like, one of these is the right answer. And like this full-time job was just the universe, like giving me the, give me the carrot of like, here's like the easy way out. Totally. The universe will test you. it's really you. hard. Yeah. It was definitely testing me. I was like, you could do this. And I was like, I really shouldn't do this. <laughs> um, Your brain was really made the decision for you, right? I'm just kidding. Yeah, you're, this is the thing. If we have no free will, and why do we, does our brain make us agonize? Yeah. Actually, that, that, the, the subjective experience of being a human being is what makes that concept really challenging. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it's been, it's been a really amazing journey. Um, I do think I'll go back to full-time work. I mean, I am working full-time. I'm just like, doing my, you know, consulting stuff with a bunch of different clients. And I, I do think I'll go back to working in-house because um, I really miss feeling like I'm, like, building something myself. Um, and I really miss having a team. I think that was, like, so special to me, like I said, in my last job. Um, and I feel like I have a – I have some sort of, like, calling wrapped up in there for me that I feel, like, really not myself without. Um, you're a very good builder in work (laughs) and outside of work. I feel like you're the type of, you're like a very natural, like connector. I, I appreciate that because I don't always feel like a good social connector. I feel like honestly quite like socially awkward frequently. Um, but I do think that like inherent, like creating a safe space for people, bringing people together, rallying people around like a shared 
vision is something that I really enjoy. Um, and those things are often things that you should keep pursuing. If you were to give a rule or two that you live by that you feel like <laughs> serve you the most in your life, what would those be? That's so funny. Uh, a rule or two to live by. I have so many like wellness ones that come to mind. Like, Shoot. <laughs> um, go be in the sun every single day. I sometimes need to be dragged out onto my balcony. Nick calls it like morning sun. He like literally picks me up off my desk, walks me like out there onto the balcony. And it's like literally even just for like one minute, just stand, go be in the sun, like commune with nature commune with the outdoor air um i know especially you guys are in you know real deal winter not in california winter and so i feel like it's even more important than to like really consciously make it happen but i do feel like that's a really critical human thing to do is like go be outside even if it's like for 60 seconds um i feel like that like often really turns around my day especially in the morning um like ideally go on a walk that doesn't always happen but i try <laughs> Um, I don't know. That's one like really easy kind of wellnessy one. I mean, another big wellnessy one is like you have to actually sleep. Like I have been even through college, even through working like crazy in the last couple of years, like all of this, I have consistently slept eight hours. And that is honestly one of my proudest achievements. It is like one of the absolute biggest factors in your health and your happiness and the way that you show up. It like enables so many other things. So I feel like sleep for me is critical. Um, and actually the only supplement that I regularly take I like take for sleep. It's magnesium glycinate. Um, I was like, it goes to show what I will spend my money on, which is basically only sleep. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Those are those are some good wellnessy ones, and then some kind of more. Um, I know I mentioned one of my biggest um, values is inclusion. Just like always, make the effort to like get to know somebody and include them in like whatever you're doing because I think there are a lot of people who feel like outsiders or like they don't belong and like just one tiny thing can like totally change that for them and I think there are definitely times where I felt that way and people have given me the olive branch there are times where I felt that way people have not given me that olive branch and like just like the social stuff is really hard and it's even harder when you wrap it up with you know for example a team at work or whatever it is um and so I think always giving people the benefit of the doubt and giving people the opportunity to like step into the circle um, is is a really core tenet for me. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. You are a beautiful that. person, so that doesn't surprise me. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing some of your some of your story. I feel like there's a lot of topics we didn't get to, and you are just such a radiant soul. And uh, I know that we'll have you back soon. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your time and for sharing your your heart with us. Oh, thank you guys for having me. I'm so excited to be a part of this. Yay! Yay! thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode if you enjoyed it please leave us a review follow us or share it with a friend have a great day and remember you make the rules